Hey guys, this is Bruce. Welcome to Convo Courses podcast. We're going to be talking about GRC topics, how to get into this field, um, NIST 800 uh, um, NIST837, any other open topics today? I don't really have anything prepared. I'm just going to go through some comments. I've been getting so many comments lately that I, I really need to spend some time to actually answer some of them. And the way I like to do it is to answer via a video. Um, whenever I can. That's what I'm going to be doing. I've got some um, liquid strength here that I'm going to be drinking while I answer questions. <laughs> That's how long I've been doing this. I could literally drink vodka while I'm answering questions about cybersecurity. I've been doing this a long time. Uh, but any questions that you guys have, any questions whatsoever, I'll do my very best to answer it. Um, I get lately I've been getting a lot of questions about how to get into this field. So until I get any questions live, what I'm going to do is hit up some of the questions that I get um, on TikTok and on uh, YouTube and on Facebook. So let me start off with uh, stuff on YouTube. Let me see here. Now, keep in mind, sometimes people put some uh, um, very offensive things. And I know how sensitive you guys are these days. Just bear with me. It's not me that's doing it. Other people ask. They, they ask whatever the hell they want. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> All right, let me see here. So I got some questions here from YouTube. They said, um, <clears throat> okay, I won't answer any of the scam dating app stuff. I'm going to keep it straight with cybersecurity stuff. Let me see here. Somebody said, um, how? okay, they're asking a question about, they were responding to one of my videos about what all IT students must do. And the question was, how about working at a cable company like call center around helping users setting up troubleshooting net home networks? So I think that their question is about if you are a cable guy, they want to know, like, how can you get into IT? Technically, you are a part of IT, but I know what you mean. You want to go deeper. You want to make more money. You want to how do you put this on your resume? What do you do? So first off, if you're a cable if you're a cable guy, if you're a cable jockey, you lay cable for people or even you're just troubleshooting, you just happen to be working for Comcast or something, you take the calls to troubleshoot people, walk them through. These are things that you can still put on your resume because what you can what you're doing, basically, even if you're just following a script and you don't really know IT, you are literally helping people to fix their their systems. What you need to do right now, if I were you, if I was in if I was doing cable laying cable or troubleshooting or setting up modems for Comcast or whoever, what I would do is I would start learning the basics of networking. I networking, um, I would I would do CompTIA Security Plus. If I if you already know security, if you already know IT information technology stuff, I would do CompTIA Security Security Plus because that's a very marketable certification. Um, if you don't know anything at all, you probably want to get into um, CompTIA A+. That's going to walk you through some of the common, the um, best practices uh, of a common body of knowledge you need to know for fixing computers. That's where I would start. You need the knowledge. So you've got a little bit of the experience. If you label lay cable, if you start, if you're actually putting in the modems, if you're actually walking people through a script and things like that, that's actually, you can actually put that on your resume. Um, now how you word it, what you want to do is go to, 
LinkedIn.com and look at other people's resume. Look for um, computer support. Look for customer support, service technicians. Look for field technicians. Look for um, help desk is another one. Any kind of entry-level computer support stuff and look at their resumes, look how they word things and put that on your resume. Now, what you want to do is in addition to putting this on your resume, really you want to put this stuff on your LinkedIn profile, your Dice.com profile, and your Monster.com profile. And that is how you're going to get noticed. So that's what I would do. And you can list everything that you've already done as experience. So, so yes, it, it will help you out. And I would highly recommend if you want to level up in this field, and it doesn't matter if you like it or not, like this, this field makes money. It's recession proof. So I would, I would go for it if I were you. All right. I'm getting some questions here. Navi 2000. Thank you, man. How you doing? Thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate you. Uh, let me see. One thing that's great about this community I mean, doing this every week is that I get a lot of people like Nobby, like um, some other uh, smooth virus and some other people who join me who are actually cybersecurity experts who are actually in IT, who've been doing this for a while, who actually chime in and give people advice as well. So um, that's really good. The great thing about this community. Somebody asked me um, starting on or actually it's a statement, I guess, starting on BS cybersecurity this fall is coding required for cybersecurity. So a lot of curriculums will usually have some part of their of their uh, syllabus to have some coding in there. So I would say, yes, it is required in the job, in the field. It depends on the job. Cybersecurity is a very big field. So I would say no as a whole. So, so and that's coming from somebody who's been doing cybersecurity since 2000. I, I do not, I've not, I know how to code a little bit, but I, I have not been, nobody's asked me for my coding skills. You know what I mean? So I, I know the basics. I know like HTML, which is that, which means I don't know how to code, <laughs> but your, your question is in, in school, do you need to know how to code? You're going to have it's part of your curriculum. It's going to be in your syllabus. You don't, you'll walk you, you'll have a course at some point of doing some kind of uh, programming, but it'll be pretty light. Like it'll be like one course, maybe two courses or something. And, you know, maybe you have a project where you build a clock or you build a, I don't know, pizza maker or something like that, you know, where you have choices and all that kind of menus and all that kind of stuff. But in this field, I'm telling you, you don't know how to code. You don't have to know how to code to be a cybersecurity person. The reason why I say that, and a lot of people will have some, will have a disagreement with me. Some of the, my, my peers will say, no, you do have, have to know how to code. Anybody who's in cybersecurity has to know how to code. I'm telling you from experience, I, I've never, nobody said, hey, you have to know how to code to have this job making six figures. Nobody said that. And I've been work. I've worked several six-figure jobs remotely. I'm working currently. I do not know how to code. So very little coding and, and they don't require me to code. Is it good to code? Absolutely. It's, it's awesome to code. If you're not a code, you are a boss. But you don't have to know how to code. You know what I'm saying? So it depends on the job. And I'll just give you an example of what I mean here. And it'll make a little bit more sense. Program management, even though it's not considered like specifically IT, um, we we rely heavily on them, especially in medium and large organizations. It is so adjacent to information technology, so adjacent to security engineering uh, and system engineering and coding and all that kind of stuff that we consider them part of us because we need them very bad. They don't need to know 
even basic IT stuff, to be honest with you. They need to know the organization's processes. They need to know things like Agile and, and some of the other stuff that's in their wheelhouse, in their project management wheelhouse, but they don't need to know how to code at all. Another one is a lot of GRC people don't even know how to code. That's what I do. GRC stands for Governance, Risk, and Compliance. I'd make sure that organizations are compliant with um, with government standards, but I've done it for PCI compliance. I've done it for um, a little bit for HIPAA, a little bit for PCI, but I'm a GRC person. I don't really need to know how to code. It hasn't been helpful to know in the past. Uh, normally, I'm not even good enough to, to string code together. So I'll ask somebody on my team, hey, man, I need this script run. Could you write this script or something like that? You know, otherwise I'm going to have to do it manually. But no, I haven't had to know how to code. So you've got PMs, project managers, you got GRC policy people. Um, what other places that you, to be honest with you, even some assessors don't have, have to know how to code because assessors are not all pen testers. Some assessors are do what I do, which is they need to know what documentation that you need to do GRC in a specific organization. Because I might come in and say, look, I need to see all your security policies. I need to see your system security plan. I need to see your privacy implementation uh, statements. I need to see, like, it doesn't require any coding. So do you have to code in this field? The answer is no. Is it best that you know how to code? Absolutely. If, if you know how to code, if you if you go down that road, that is, that's really going to help you out in this career field. It's going to expand your your skill set, all that kind of stuff. Will you make more money? Absolutely. If you know how to code, that's, that's really good to bring to the table. All right. So let me answer another question from YouTube. Somebody said, uh, your experience as an ISO, uh, do you... Do y'all host meetings with a group of people or individual meetings? Oh, both. So that's a, this is a great question. So somebody asked me if I'm understanding you correctly. Um, um, in my experience as an ISO, do we host meetings with a group or with uh, a group of people or with individual individuals? The answer is both. So. In a normal day, I'm, I'm actually meeting with both uh, groups of people. Typically, the group meetings are like once or twice a, a week, uh, depending on the situation. You'll have a group of people. It'll be all the stakeholders of a system. It'll be your system engineers. It'll be your um, you might have uh, programmers in there. If you had a, if you had a program a system that required dev uh, DevOps. Um, it's you're developing code and stuff to do process some data or whatever it is. You might have um, system engineers in there. You might have some managers in that group. You might have um, pro project managers are a big one to have in the group. So you, it depends on how who you'd have, but it's be all the stakeholders typically. And then the one-on-ones would be these one-off meetings where I, I need to get some information or they need to get from some information from me, like the system engineer, the system the actual system administrators, the people touching the system and, and configuring the system, those people I talk to on a regular basis, like once a week. But those are very typically they're very um, informal meetings where it's just like, hey, man, like, did you did you hear them talk about this? Like, what do they mean by that and this? You know, so it'll be like a, a informal, like 20 minute conversation between me and a manager or me and a system administrator or whatever. So the, I would say it's it's typically both, mostly one-on-ones, but once a week or so you do a, a group meeting. And sometimes I'm running the meeting and sometimes somebody else is running the meeting and I'm jumping in there and then I'm just chiming in if they, they ask me a question about NIST 800 or whatever the questions are. 
So I hope that answered your questions, man. Thank you for that question, by the way. Here's the question right there. Just take a sip of my liquid courage. Um, so if you guys are happen to be watching me, um, I do this every week on YouTube, on Facebook, on TikTok, and start doing on Twitter just to mess around and um, asking questions, open open topics, and then I post this on my uh, podcast. Check out this little shot glass I got. Look at that. It says cyber. One of my good friends got this for me. Probably can't see that. It's got the, it's got my little logo on it. It's got this, uh, this little logo right here on it. My kids and my good friend got that for me. Appreciate that. All right. Thank you for that question. I'm going to ask, ask some more questions, answer some more questions here. Let me see. Um, should I get into cybersecurity if I'm already an electrical engineer? Um, you you can. Um, you, you totally can. I know a couple dudes who, who are electrical engineers who went into cybersecurity. It tends to what I've noticed is that their capacity for you guys have to learn so much as cyber as, as electrical engineering. You're already super technical that uh, I've known a few, quite a few electrical engineers that went into cybersecurity. Should you do it? I don't know the field of electrical engineering. I don't know what's better. I can't tell you if it's better or not. I can just tell you what I've seen um, of electrical engineering who, and electrical engineers who have come into this field. And I'll say they do pretty good here because it's, you know, they can handle the technical piece really easily. I would say that uh, you can make quite a bit as a cybersecurity person. And I don't know what cyber, I don't know what electrical engineers make. It probably depends on their job, right? Let me just let me just do some research here. What does anybody know? Like, what, how much does an electrical engineer make? How much does an an electrical engineer make? I'm not sure. Let me just, I'm just going to do some research. And then based on this, I'll, I'll let you know if you should switch it. And if you, if you're catching this late, somebody asked me on TikTok, how much does an electrical engineer make? And I'm looking it up right now. I mean, they asked me how, if they should go into cybersecurity as an electrical engineer. Let me see. So here's what I'm, let me see if I can switch my screen here and I'll get to you guys' questions in a second here. So I just typed in how much does a, a electrical engineer make and um, the pay scales upwards of anywhere from. Well, let's start off with ZipRecruiter. So ZipRecruiter saying the average is about thirty eight dollars an hour, but it probably depends on what part of the country you're in. Nationwide, you're making like eighty five. It, it It's kind of looking OK. I guess it depends on. Look at this right here. It looks like it's dependent on like. What's your title as an electrical engineer? It, that's not bad. That's not bad. I guess it really depends on what you want to do. But these are high level, like electrical engineer five, a director. Um, okay, well, based on this, I would say you could potentially make more money. And I, I suspect this is why you asked me this. You could potentially make more money as an electrical engineer than you could 
I mean, you could potentially make more money doing cybersecurity than electrical engineer. And um, and here's why. Let me show you. So the average national average for an electrical engineer is about 80. But cybersecurity, cybersecurity, let me type in cyber. OK, how much does a cybersecurity engineer make? So the average is about 86,000 a year for a cybersecurity person. And I'm in Colorado. The average here is about 86,000. It doesn't start off like that. You know, you might start off at like 60 or something. But I think the start off for a, for a person beginning. Now, if you're starting your own business, that's a whole different thing. I mean, probably if I was an electrical engineer, I'd probably start my own business and just do private stuff. But uh, if you're if you're working for companies, probably cybersecurity uh, would be better. But then again, it depends on a couple things. Where are you at in your career? How long you've been doing it? How old are you? Those are factors because I would say if you're already like um, a high level journeyman or a master electric electro electrical engineer, I would say stick with it and then just start your own business because you can make way more just doing that because you've mastered it. Um, if you are just starting out and you you're already an electrical engineer, but you're still starting out and you're you're kind of getting your feet wet and you're making, you know, 50,000, 40,000, something like that. And you're willing to learn and you're excited about cybersecurity. Maybe look into it. Maybe I would I would I would look into it because the field is pretty is pretty it's pretty hot right now. It's not going to go away, you know, even if it takes you three, four years to to get where you are as an electrical engineer, you know, and um, in, in salary, it's going to be worth it because it's going to it's going to last you pretty long. So it really depends on where you're at, I would say. And, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to cop out, but if it was me and I was already a master or I've already been doing it for like six years, electrical engineering, I'm about to level up. I'll probably stick with that. If, on the other hand, I was I was just starting out as a young dude and I was super excited about cybersecurity, I would look into it. I would kind of maybe take a couple courses, see if I wanted to do it before I go, because this is a long path. You know, this is not overnight. This is something you're going to have to do. But you as an electrical engineer, you'd be able to learn it very fast. And by the time you got there from here to there, you 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 do really well. And if, if you already have a bachelor's degree, you're an electrical engineer. You don't have to go back to school. That's that's what's crazy about it is because most companies will take an electrical engineer who who has experience as an IT person. Um, an electrical engineer is, is highly um, is looked at at, at a very high level in in uh, in companies. Like if you're if you were, if you came there to uh, some company and you are, want to be a field tech and they looked at your resume and you want them to teach you on the job training and you were they saw you you were an electrical engineer but you had no experience they they'd be like well this guy he's going to learn fast because electrical engineers are are, are like a high you just consider like at this higher level. I know this because several people who I know had a, were electrical engineers and we all looked at them like, holy crap. And and typically they learn super fast because electrical engineering is no joke, you know. So um, that that would be my two cents in. And I hope that 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 helps you helps you out. OK, let me take another question from YouTube. If I can answer this, just call me uh, me solo. Let me see. He says. Do y'all experience, do y'all experience with 
FRCS facility related control systems. I personally don't. Um, I don't. I, I typically, if I'm doing a uh, an assessment, I'll typically talk to somebody who's a subject matter expert on facility related control systems. But I, I don't have any experience with that. The only experience I have is whenever I'm doing an assessment and I'll have to talk off to sit down with somebody who who has that type of experience uh, with facility related control systems. And then I'll just ask them, I'll like at, interview them about what's going on or they'll take me on a tour around the area and I'll see what what if those controls relate to NIST 800 or CIS controls or something like that. So and let me let me just get a little bit more information. I think I know what you're talking about with facility. Let me see. Facility. FRCS facility. Facility managers. I, yeah, I think that's what you're talking about. Facility related. I'm just opening up the OSD.mil. Facility related control systems, cybersecurity. DOD recognizes the risk posed by emerging threats. To our mission, critical cybersecurity dependent facility related control systems capabilities require constant unwavering vigilance. Okay, DOD pursues relevant protection. Okay, what is it? Tell me, just tell me what it is. <laughs> what? Just, just tell me what it is. <laughs> um, okay, FRC. S and networks are both physical and logical cybersecurity uh, throughout the life cycle. Okay, I think I know what it is, but let me just make sure. Is it? It's it's physical security on on a facility that links to to a system, right? Is that what it is? DoD pursues relevant protection approaches that enable a unity between security efforts and security of our networks, facilities, personnel, and operations, minimize insider threats. Um, still not really telling me what it is. Where's the Wikipedia version of what? Just tell me what it is. Facility-related control systems. I think they're referring to like, like if you have a, a system, alarm systems on your building that alerts, automatically alerts your your people, stuff like that. Let me see. I'm learning live, guys, so just bear with me. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I think I know what this is. Industrial control systems. Okay, no, I'm not seeing it. All right, it keeps leading me back to this page. Okay. Um, yeah, so typically, just to answer your question real quick, nor I, I personally don't. I have not worked on uh, facility control. Uh, facility related control systems what i'll do is i know that what i'll do is i'll talk to a facility manager whenever i'm doing assessment i'll sit down with them because these guys know where all the alarm systems are they know how the windows are protected the doors are locked how everything works together to a system like a castle or something like that like a video systems coming in and it's it's checking all the alarm the doors and stuff like that so i'll sit with them and see okay what's the frequency that you guys check these things how do they work what you know are the codes changed frequently and stuff like that so but the answer to your question is no i i personally don't have experience with it all right let me see do you have experience with frcs systems no i do not okay let me answer some other questions hey love your channel thanks gamer appreciate it man um let me see 
I'm going to answer some more questions. I think I got some more some more TikTok questions. So let me answer some of those. I'm not ignoring you guys. I'm just getting like a flood of people asking me stuff. Um, Because what I do is I do all I do this on several different platforms. OK, attempt attempted to make a attempted to take my CompTIA A plus very early in the morning, but access code they provided wasn't working. Oh, man, that sucks. Just go back. You can do it. Let me see. Waiting for supervisor to allow schedule just be into your profile. Okay. Are you in the military? Somebody asked me, am I in the military? Yes, I used to be in the military. Um, not 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 anymore. I was in the military for about eight years and I did I started off as a security administrator, where basically it was <laughs> I started off as a security weapons specialist. They call it an, a security administrator, which means something totally different now. But they train me on like four or five different wep weapons. <laughs> it sounds so stupid to say, but I was uh, I was basically a glorified security guard. I was protecting like nuclear weapons and information systems. And I was the physical guard that was protecting, you know, and all. And then I did air base ground defense, worked with the Army, worked with the Marines, doing grunt work. They would train us on like how they do air base, uh, ground defense and stuff. Um, and then I cross train. I, I changed my career path into computer, um, into computer operator. And that was really me. Like that was really what I, what I wanted to do. I, I was just kind of a geek at heart. I just love to do just figuring out puzzles. Like for me, computers have been like, um, like toys. It's like a puzzle. And so I really enjoy figuring stuff out. The, the law enforcement slash physical security side wasn't for me, but I definitely got a lot out of it. Like the military taught me quite a bit. Somebody said, why, why, why'd you get out of the military? So I got out of the military for a couple of reasons. It was during, um, and this is definitely going to date me, but I was in during 9-11. So not, not, I was in 9-11. And at that time, we went, the U.S. went after like several different countries at once. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was happened to hit a couple of those countries. So I was in Afghanistan, man. And I, I, this is a crazy story, but here's why I got out of the military. Let me take a shot. All right. So I was in Afghanistan and uh, I was a com com guy we were hooking up networks in afghanistan classified and unclassified networks without going into any great detail i was in um bagram air, air base and when we land they had to land in like a circular pattern like we were in a c-130 and they were like they had to land like they, they had to fly around a circle half a dozen times because they were afraid it was going to get shot because you you had to land like in this valley like the runway was in this valley and on either side, they had these mountains and um, they would sometimes the the Taliban would take shots or I don't know if it was Taliban or Al Qaeda, who knows. Right. But they were trying to um, take out the plane as it's landing. <laughs> so they had to land in a, a combat method to, to avoid like air um, surface to air missiles. <laughs> so we were landing. <laughs> And uh, 
this, it's like I had never been sick on an aircraft, but man, this time I was sick. So we landed and I didn't throw up or anything. I was like, oh my God, we're alive because I was like, we're going to die, man. This is it. This is, we're done. So we, we landed. They get this combat land where they go like, boom, they just hit the runway and just bounce a couple times and they open up the door and there's no lights. You can't turn the lights on because then you're a target. Like you're, you're a target people can see from the mountainsides. So they start yanking out all the, all the, the logistics material, all these laptops and stuff that we were bringing to hook up this network. And um, they're bringing out these pallets and stuff. And then we pile out and then they have these glow sticks. It's all dark. Like you can't see nothing but glow sticks. They break these glow sticks and the army's like, okay, come on, let's go. And then they're rushing us off the tarmac, getting off the runway. And then we get, they take us straight to this tent. I'll never in my life forget this. They take us straight to this tent. And then they sit us down for this briefing. They're like, okay. They said, first of all, they start doing the history of Bagram Air Force Base. It used to be owned by the Russians. It was it was taken over by the Russians. And then they they built up this, this base. And when they left, they put landmines all over. So they're telling us there's still landmines. We cleared out most of them, but there's still landmines here and there. This is right after 9-11. There's still landmines here and landmines there. The U.S. government took over an old Russian base and then converted it into a military, into a U.S. base. And they put, they were clearing out the landmines that the Russians had left after they lost the Afghan war. So they said, but now there's still landmines. So just, you got to watch your step. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm going to freaking die, dude. I just had a daughter and I'm going to freaking die. My daughter's not going to see me. I was just thinking, that's all I could think about. I was like, dude, maybe I didn't make the right life decision. <laughs> So then we walk out of the tent after this briefing on landmines and they say, oh, yeah, by the way, six months ago, this this Polish army dude blew up. He he lost his leg. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is this is insane, dude. This this base still has landmines and they were still clearing out landmines. And then they had these designated paths that you could you could walk you could walk through. By the time I left, they had a freaking Chili's on Bagram Air Base, you know, like by the time. You know, nowadays it's different, but right after 9-11, it was, I mean, it's closed now, I think. But at that time, it was crazy. So they did this landmine briefing. We're walking out and they have this designated path that you could take to not step on a landmine. And then they take us to a tent and stuff. And um, it was the most military experience I'd had. Now, I'd, I'd been in a couple of other combat uh, areas before, but this was probably the most hardcore. The base got hit while we were there. Like somebody tried to arrest the, the the gate and blew something up. And it was crazy, man. It was crazy. After that, I, I had like a few weeks there hooking up these these networks. And that was actually fun to do. It was interesting. And we hooked up like morale computers and stuff. And people were like, we were like saviors, man. They were like, oh, my God, these guys just it. The impact that I that we had on soldiers there was something I'll also never forget because People had not talked to their families in in months because they didn't have any morale computers. Nowadays, it's probably different. But at that time, you know, um, it wasn't the, the Internet was is I mean, it was it was there, but it wasn't as used as it is now. Like it's it's now everywhere. But at that time, it was just kind of like something they were just really putting out everywhere and, and realizing how important it was. So we were hooking up their means of communication to their kids and their wife and their whole family. So they were the soldiers and stuff were super thankful when we left. So anyway, I get back home 
went back to I think it was was it Montana? I was I can't remember where I was stationed. I went back home to wherever I was stationed, and uh, there oh it was it was Beale Air Force Base. I went back to Beale Air Force Base, and they're like, hey, by the way, you know we need somebody to go to Iraq. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to Iraq, man. That's it. I'm done. Like, and my enlistment was up. So I I was at a crossroads. I didn't know whether I was going to stay or not, to be honest. And after, after Afghanistan, Afghanistan changed the way I feel about geopolitics, about human beings. I've seen things there I can never unsee. And it made, it made me change my mind about um, nation states, about humans, about, about, how human how we are as a species it 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 really changed my whole perspective on life and reality and everything and uh i wouldn't take that experience back because I, the stuff i learned there changed me like you can't like i'll tell you this the stuff you see on the news a lot of that's not like a lot of that's off it's just off i'm not saying it's like some kind of conspiracy or something but they how can they possibly know what's class like there's certain things that are happening on the ground they're classified they can't they're not going to tell the positions or what if if they expose what's really going on sometimes you can expose the position of soldiers that are there you can expose people who who we have on the ground who are helping us you know so they can't tell you everything that's, so when you see stuff on the news a lot of times it's not like the whole story is one thing I, I noticed. Another thing that I experienced there that I, that I also never forget is that Afghanis, the Afghanis were good people. And um, I've never seen that level of poverty before. And so I remember we were eating MREs. If you ever had an MRE, they're horrible. They don't taste good at all. And uh, <laughs> we were just, you'd eat what you wanted, like peanut butter or whatever, and then you'd just throw the rest away, you know. And then the Afghanis, they would ask our permission to eat the rest. I'm ashamed to say that, but that's what happened. And so they would go through the trash and then they would eat the rest. I'm like, man, this is something's not right here, man. Um, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what's like. I am speechless about the state of humanity. And this is not this happened 20 years ago, but I'm so sure this is still happening because because look at the state of the world right now. You know, I don't, I don't try not trying to bring anybody down or anything, but it just the reason why I got out of the military is because I missed my daughter walking for the first time. You know, like I didn't get to see her her walk, and it it was a wake up call I think for me to just I need to focus on me on my family, and I didn't think the military was was doing that for me, so. Once I missed my daughter's first steps after that, I was like, nah, man, I got to be there for my for my daughter, man. I can't I can't die in a combat zone. They, we don't have nobody. We don't have, they don't have my we don't have like a family infrastructure. You know what I mean? My wife wasn't like ex-wife wasn't like she wasn't. She wasn't a mother. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, I'm the only thing my, my daughter had. So I'm like, now nah, I got to get out. So that's why I got out. Otherwise, I probably would have stayed. All right, let me see. I got some more questions. Um, somebody said, hi, Bruce. I want to transition into a security control role. Um, however, I don't have a clearance. Uh, what advice would you give? Okay, John, so I've got some advice on this. Actually, the previous job I worked at, I worked at Verizon. Great company. Um, they have this security unit called the Cyber, Cyber Security Risk uh, program. They got a cybersecurity risk program. 
and it was really it was it was it was really good. Like they're they're put the, together their own cybersecurity risk program. I thought it was pretty good, um, and uh, they paid pretty good. They have great benefits and stuff. And what we what we were doing was security control assessments. That's what we were doing. But we didn't. You didn't need a clearance to be there. You needed a public trust clearance, which is not a it's not a security secret clearance or clearance or anything like that. Like anybody can get a public trust. If, if I'm not mistaken. If you even if you have a green card, a green card holder, you're a foreign um, national and you're living in the United States, you can get a public trust. So that's that's what they required for you to get. And we were doing assessments on banks, on financial institutions, on healthcare organizations, on you name it. Like a lot of the stores and stuff you go to, like we probably did a, an assessment for them. So the same stuff you would do as a security control assessor. Is the same stuff you, they're doing at IBM. IBM has also has a, a cyber risk program that they do. So they need security control assessors. Um, Verizon has one. Um, there's several other Mandiant, all these, a lot of these large IT organizations, they have like a cybersecurity unit that does internal and external security control assessments. And they don't require you to have a clearance, a security clearance. They, they will do a background check. They will do like I think a public trust clearance on you, but that is not the same as a a, a security clearance because they'll they'll give you a clearance like they'll you get into the job and then they'll they'll do a background check on you and then they'll make sure you know they want to make sure if you're working for a bank you didn't rob a bank or something like that you know what I mean you're not if you're working for a hospital you don't have a malpractice suit against you or some something crazy something that's going to be detrimental to the organization you're working for or something that doesn't prove that you are untrustworthy with very important data is what they're doing the background check on you for. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's what you can do. Like you can either, there's a couple things you can do. You can work if you're like a, if you know, you cannot, you're not eligible to get a security clearance, like a secret clearance. Like that means if you are a foreign national, like you have a green, you're a green card holder, you're not an American citizen, you can't get certain clearances. Like you can't, you can't get clearance. So it's going to be much harder for you to work directly for the department of, uh, of defense, for example, it's going to be much harder for you to work there. You're not saying you can't, but you, it's going to be harder. Um, so you can, if you did, you can, companies will bring you in and then they'll give you a clearance, but you have to be eligible. You have to be eligible if you're going to secret clearance. But if you come in and you, you're not eligible, sometimes they don't really need you to have a clearance. Like they'll, they'll just have you work in place where and working with data that you don't need to have a clearance for, a secret clearance or whatever, or a top secret clearance or whatever the case may be. But then also you have the private sector, your IBMs, your Verizon, your Mandiant, your all these other organizations. They have a pri they have their own private security security assessor organization that does internal assessments and external assessments. And those guys... They don't typically need the type of clearance. I mean, even if they do, they'll get you a clearance that you need. So um, you, there's still hope is what I'm saying. You just have to be you just have to have the knowledge, skills and ability to, to do the tasks that they need for um, for security control assessors. And those tasks would be things like knowing how to do vulnerability scans with tools like uh, Tenables is a popular one. Another one's called Qualys. And then there's a few other ones um, that I'm that are slipping my mind right now. But if you know like the tools of the trade, you know how to do it, then you can actually you can absolutely do that do that work. All right, my compute my phone's already about to die, and I apologize for that. I'm gonna have to cut TikToks short 
in a second here, like I did last week. Let me see. Somebody said, any advice for first-time test takers for CompTIA A+. Um, study techniques. So what I did was whenever I – it for me, like CompTIA was my first test that I took. It was very difficult for me because I didn't know the terminology. One of the things that I did, techniques that I learned from the military was – and I think they get this from college courses or whatever, but I learned it in the military is that you, what I would do is I would take notes and I do this to this day. It really works. And I use, I, I memorize stuff tactile. I have to write it down. I'll go through the book, get like a cheap book, like a cheap A plus certification book. And then uh, get a cheap A plus certification book. They all pretty much say the same thing. So you don't have to get the official guide or whatever, get a, you know, it's enough to get like $15 guide. I would go through the book and I take out all the most important parts of that book, all the most important pieces of each one of the domains in um, compliance in um, CompTIA A+. And then I would make a question and answer for myself in my in my notes. I'd go through the entire book. Then once I'm done with the entire book, that I'm not annotating everything in the book. OK, I'm just taking out the main things, terminology types of for example like types of encryption like that's probably something you need to know the different types of encryption the difference between an s um rsa and an um i don't know aes encryption or something like that's something you probably need to know in security plus or a a plus certification or not i'm thinking security plus a plus would be things like um components of a computer like uh, a cpu what does it do versus a, ran a, a random access memory versus storage. Like that's something you probably need to know for A plus certification. Write those, those key things down. And then now when you're done, study your notes. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I was doing and it's worked for me to, to uh, get through all these different certifications. So if, I hope that helps. I'm gonna, add, I'm gonna focus on uh, TikTok because TikTok, my phone's about to die. Let me see, somebody said, are any entry level positions a hundred thousand a year? Possibly, possibly the ones on the East Coast, the ones overseas, the ones with a lot of travel, uh, the ones with high level clearances. Those I would say I've seen six figures. I get, and I'll just run down a few of those. So the ones that are overseas. They'll be in like places that not a lot of not a lot of Americans and qualified people want to go. There'll be places like I don't know Afghanistan, places like uh, places like uh, Iraq, <laughs> places like I mean, probably not even so much anymore. Um, but they've got some good ones too. But there'll be these remote places that you can go Oman or UAE or Dubai or places that Americans typically don't want to go that are people who are qualified don't want to go. Those will sometimes pay about a hundred, um, and then it's tax free. And I, obviously, they'll teach you when you get there and all that kind of stuff. But you do need to know something when you get there. Um, so I've seen I've seen that one. Um, and then if you have a clearance, if you happen to have gotten out of the, some some military folks, they get out of the military, they have a TS clearance or whatever, and they happen to be on a in a in a position or on the East Coast, where there's all of these positions that need somebody with a high level clearance, and then they'll bring you in and teach you. And, and uh, that'll, that'll be like a $100,000 job. Another one I've seen is um, ones with a lot of travel. 
uh, a lot of travel, like you're always traveling, those they'll teach you on the job training because they're going to need you to continue to keep traveling around and stuff like that. So th those are three jobs that I've seen that are hundred hundred thousand dollar jobs or, or around that like 95, you know, 101, 102 type jobs. But they're, they usually come with some some sacrifice, some some blood sacrifice that you have to make your firstborn something. There's something that you have to give up to to get those kinds of jobs as an entry level person. OK, let me see. Uh, is cybersecurity only beneficial if you work for the government? No, absolutely not. Like I was my last position, I was working with Verizon and it was it was a very good job. Like it was I was consultant. Um, it was I was making great money. I had great benefits. I was working with all these great professionals, um, people who I would work with to, to this day. If I have any advice, I'll call them and say, hey, man, look, what's going on with this or that? How are you doing? Like they, these are great people that I worked with. So it's it's not all government jobs. And those aren't, aren't the only good jobs. As a matter of fact, I would I would argue probably private sector has better jobs than the government, to be perfectly honest, because government has like a cap. You know, so a lot of times these contractors, they're bidding, they're they're bidding lower to get these government positions. So a lot of times they got to pay you within that bracket. They can they got to pay you 80. They got to pay you 90. They got to pay you 120 or whatever. Whereas private sector, they don't have those kind of restrictions. Their restrictions are based on their bottom line, which is based on stocks right now. It's not doing too well. But, yeah, there's a lot of private sector cybersecurity jobs. But that being said, there's also some that are private sector, but they're hospitals, they're banks, they're, they're institutions that we actually need rather than Facebook or YouTube or Google or whatever. Um, best course for getting into Security Plus. Um, I would, if it's Security Plus, there's a couple good ones on Udemy. Check check Udemy, Coursera. Um Check the actual CompTIA site itself. They'll have some that are that are good. Um, there's also if you go to the CISA.gov um, cyber workforce site. I don't know off the top of my head. Don't know the URL, but if you type that, if you look for it, you'll find. Anyway, they've got a bunch of links to really good uh, CompTIA Security Plus courses that you can do. But I, I would check first of all with YouTube. YouTube's free. I mean, they've got. 10 hour courses on YouTube for free. I don't know why people post those. I guess those guys who create those are making all kinds of money on those, but they do like a 10 hour course and then they'll put it on YouTube for free. That's one you can start with. But then the paid ones are Coursera, Udemy. Those are actually pretty good. Look for the ratings, how many ratings and how many people have taken it and then go through that yourself. And you, you might spend, like if you've never used CompTIA, I mean, uh, Coursera or, or Udemy before it sometimes I'll give it to you for like 18, 14 bucks or something, a $200 course for 18 bucks. Um, so there's a lot of, lot of good stuff there. So I hope that helps you. Highest in paid entry level positions for cybersecurity. I mean, pretty, pretty high. It depends on what you're willing to sacrifice. Like I said, if you are willing to sacrifice your, your firstborn child, if you're willing to, Sacrifice your freedom and go to the Middle East. If you're willing to sacrifice, you know, something, um, you can get a pretty high level paying job. And some are even are tax free, but you're going to have to give something up. 
for those those high paying entry level jobs. And then if you already have a TSSCI clearance, you might be able to get a high paying position for entry level. But those are they get they get close to I don't know that I've seen any that are 100K and above, but they get pretty close, like 90, 80, 80, you know, 90s. But 90s tax free in a in a Dubai is not bad. Um, should I get into cybersecurity if I'm taking, if I'm already taking an electrical engineer, if I'm already an electrical engineer, I'm in, uh, I currently have embedded system. I would say, like I said, before I started talking off, uh, I, I was talking about this in the beginning. I, you might even be the same person I was talking to. Um, I, it depends for me personally, if I was in your position, if I was in your position, it would depend for me where I was. If I was a already a high level journeyman and I was already doing engine electrical engineering and I was already making 60, 70,000 and I, I was at a high level or medium high level in electrical engineering. I probably just stick with electrical engineering as a, as a lifelong career because they make pretty good money. They're always going to be around and always going to be used. Um, I would do that. But if I was just starting out and I was really intrigued by cybersecurity, I would look, I would, I would seriously look into cybersecurity, but there's other fields you can do too. You can look into cloud technology. That one's super hot right now. Uh, you can look into AI. You could, I would like look into IT first before you make a jump like that, because electrical engineering is no joke. And to come from something like that in science, technology, engineering, or mathematics, and to transfer into cybersecurity, you, it, especially if you already have a career you're going to have to start from the bottom. You know what I mean? Like why stop, start from the bottom if you already are at this, at, at a solid level. But if you really, really want it, go for it. I mean, just with your career alone and your, your experience, you'd be able to get yourself a pretty good job in IT. You have to start with information technology more likely and then build yourself up to get into a cybersecurity position. I'm, I'm saying you're probably like three years off from making good money in cybersecurity. You're probably around three years away. I mean, I'm just being perfectly honest with you because you'd have to get that experience in there. What does a cybersecurity architect do? Um, typically, these are, these guys are a jack of all trades and very deep in a few things. But what they do is they make sure that the the enterprise, the, the network enterprise, the entire network enterprise is in line with the organization's um, required security specifications. What I mean to say is, and put it in a different way, is that let's say you're at a, something everybody can understand. Let's say you're, you're at a retail center. You're at a Walmart. You're setting up a new Walmart, right? A new Walmart has to be really, really good with security because they're going to get hit from multiple different directions. They're going to get hit um, online. They're going to get hit in their DMZ at the at their they're going to get hit people are going to be trying to steal stuff from their ATMs people are going to be trying to steal stuff from their point of sale devices you got all this data loss prevention you have to think about from the employees to the contractors to the actual customers you've got to be thinking about that so a a, a cybersecurity architect in that in that uh situation is going to have to really really be smart on something like PCI DSS so if that person's going to come in, a PCI DSS person who's super good at point of sale devices and probably done it at 
targets and walmarts all over the place they're gonna be like okay here's how we got to set up the network we're gonna divide it in two different networks this network has to be over here this network so they're gonna be the person who's got making sure directing directing the cybersecurity like this has they're gonna be really working with the engineers the network engineers the cybersecurity compliance people they're gonna be working with everyone to make sure that the security compliance on as a whole for the whole department for all of the wall that Walmart Walmart Center is everything is is good. That's typically what they do. They're kind of they're at this higher level where they have to talk to managers to make sure everything is flowing well. They're gonna be talking directly to the CISO, the chief information security officer. They're gonna be talking directly to the managers, the people who manage the resources of people going out and installing all the systems in the network engineering department they're going to be talking to the the grc people who are responsible for making sure that the that that walmart is in compliance with dss compliance and so that's what they do is that they're overseeing the entire um network infrastructure with the emphasis on cybersecurity. so and they've got these for every kind of industry you've got them for the government you've got them for healthcare. You got them for banking. You got them for these cybersecurity architects are in every industry. And they make really good money, by the way. All right. Let me see here. Um, OK, I got a lot of questions on on TikTok, but unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to answer them all because my phones are going to die. So let me just. I'm just going to scroll to the bottom and answer a couple more. And then but if you guys are interested in continuing this, I'll be doing this for a little bit longer on YouTube and on Facebook. So you can follow me over there. Um, my, my phone's going to die. So I'm going to have to cut this thing short for, for a second after I after this. Let me see a couple more questions on TikTok. Uh, let me see. Somebody said, I know a, a senior global security cybersecurity architect at Microsoft, and I wanted to know what he does. That's typically what they do. They're, they're, they're kind of like a high level person, like high level, meaning like they're sitting with managers. They're sitting with the CISO, the CEOs. They're the person that the C they're that the CEO and the CIO and stuff are going to listen to because this person has their, they're locked into all aspects of security uh, for that organization. You know, so in my experience, that from what I've seen of of architects, they're usually really, really smart on many different aspects of IT. Um, how fast is the turnaround for finding work? My, I can just tell you mine. My, that's a great question. Uh, chilly, chill too. <laughs> um, so my turnaround for finding a new job is if it depends on what kind of job I want. So if I want a local job. Check this out. So if I want a local job and I'm willing to work from an office, I can find a job within a couple of weeks. A good a, a job paying about 90K. I could pay. I could find that job in a couple of weeks, but I'll probably have to have a commute. I'm in Colorado, by the way. I think it's much faster if you're on if you're on the East Coast, it'll be much faster than that, like days. Um, but it's typically if, if I'm if you're being picky, it's going to take at least two to three weeks. Now, if I want to work from home, six-figure, uh, high-level job doing GRC, that's going to take me a little bit longer. Those typically take me no less, no less than one month to just get the interview. 
and then probably another month to be selected because it's way more competitive if you're talking about a six-figure remote job doing GRC. I'm being very, very specific. I'm looking for a, a certain number. I'm looking for a certain, like, if they, and then I'm interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing me because I don't want to work for some scrubs. I don't want to work for a company that's going to screw me over. I don't want to like, I don't just like they don't want some a scrub. I don't want to work for some scrubs. You know, I don't want to work for some people who's not going to take care of their employees or it's going to there's going to be all these issues about whatever. Then I don't want to work for them. So I'm interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing me. So if I'm just looking for anything within two weeks, if I'm looking from being very, very cautious, it's going to take me a couple months to get something I want. And if I'm really picky, probably three months. So hope that answers your question. Um, all right. So and I apologize for this, but TikTok, I'm, my phone's about to die and I should have charged it before this. But if you guys are interested in following me, asking me more of these questions, I'll be on Facebook, on YouTube and on Twitter. And what if you want to ask questions, if you want to find me, just type in combo courses just go to those platforms type in combo courses you'll find me and i'll answer any of your questions but i really appreciate everybody following me on tiktok and uh, i'm gonna be continuing on to youtube uh for about like another 30 minutes answering questions so talk to you guys later you guys take care and um see you on the next one all right there we go okay guys i'm still on youtube <laughs> All right. Um, it's been picking up on TikTok lately. Um, so let me see. Let me see if I have any more questions here on YouTube. And I've got a question from Chan H who says, if I have a security plus, but no other certification and no work experience, what's the best job to go for first? Do I need an A plus? Or can I get a get away with a Google IT cert? Can I go straight into a cyber um, cyber anal analyst work? So first, I'll I'll say just about anything is possible, but not all things are probable. But I want to just give you some practical things that you can do so that you can find you somebody will find you, um, and you'll be able to find some some opportunities. Here's what I will do. I'm going to walk you through exactly what I would do in that position. We're talking about a security plus guy with no experience, little or no experience. Um, and they're looking for cybersecurity work. First of all, let me just tell you, if, if you have no experience, you probably want to start off with an IT job. Probably want to start off with an IT job. But what we'll do is I will show you. I'm on in indeed.com you can do this on linkedin you can do this on dice you can do this on monster but if you follow along with me you'll find some opportunities here so let's just type in let's start off with what we want cybersecurity entry level we want a cybersecurity entry level job so we'll just put cybersecurity right so let's do a search see how many jobs there are there's going to be a lot 28,000 jobs and um it didn't i didn't specify a location but you probably want to specify a location so I think it's looking for me, it's looking for my where I'm at. And then next thing we want to do is look up employment type. If you're open to any one of these, then just keep it the way it is. Then we want 
um, not developer skill set because we're not developers. Experience level. See this right here. So most most uh, sites, job aggregates will have this right here of a mid tier. I mean, a mid level manager, senior level person or a entry level. So let's choose entry level jobs. So these are all entry level jobs. See how it already went down 3000. Now, entry level is kind of deceptive because typically they still want you to have like a year of experience. So we want somebody with no experience. So let's see if we can find that. Let's see if we can find that. Typically, you can find it. Um, let's see here. Encourage to apply. Here we go. No college diploma, fair chance, no high school, military, back to work. Okay, nope. I'm looking for people with no, no experience. No experience would be. See if I could find it. And I'm not see. That's the thing. I'm not finding anything with no experience. And that's that's typical cybersecurity. Typical. Maybe maybe we could find it here. Let's see. No experience required. There we go. You see that what I just did. So I went to. Experience level, and I looked for this one right here, no experience required. See how there's only 56 of these, Chan? So now you want to go down the list of each one of these and apply. I would apply for each one of these. Now, to help you out, one thing that would be very helpful is if you actually sign in and create yourself a profile, because then these guys will find you too. And then when they come and see you, when you apply for it, they actually do check out your profile. So you want to go through and apply for some of these. Like this one's at Home Depot. It's remote. I don't know if this. some of these are false positives because usually if it's a remote analyst too, it's not, they're going to expect you to have some experience. So you want to just keep looking through these. We probably want, let me see, let me see here. Remote, senior. See, there's a lot of false positives here. What what's going on here? Because a lot of these are false positives. I said cybersecurity. I said no experience required. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. I don't know what's going on with that. But you want to sort through all of these, and you're gonna find something that fits. Now, even if you don't, let me show you another. Okay, here you go, right here. Information security analyst trainee. See how this? What you're gonna look for is this right here. This right here, trainee. 45 to 55, you're not going to make 100K out the box with no experience, man. You're just, it's not, it's so rare to find that. And like I said, if you do, if you do get a job like that, there's a reason. It's nobody wants to work that job because it's in Saudi Arabia or something like that. You know, a six figure job with no experience. Yeah, it's in Saudi Arabia. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's going to be uh, something crazy. Okay, here you go. 45. Let's see what they're looking for. Work authorization required. Here's your benefits. Yes, this is, looks like this looks like a entry level uh, security position. Requirements. Oh, you got to have a bachelor's degree, though. There's your security plus right there. Must be knowledgeable of security tools. See there. OK, yeah, this is. This is an entry level position. They're not saying no experience needed. Look at that. You're looking for a job just like this, Chan. So is it possible? Yes, it is. You're not going to make six figures. I can tell you that. 
It's going to be hard to find. If you do not find it, here's what you can do. Here's, here's another thing you can do. You can just put an IT. IT is going to have a little bit more jobs that don't require experience. And I know you want to get into cybersecurity, but you've got to start from somewhere. IT is going to have more no experience required jobs. So this one, the other one had 56. This one has 481. So there you go. There's going to be, if you go through these, you'll find some entry-level positions that only want a security plus. And another thing you can do is this. You could say, you could say security plus, security plus. Let's see if we can find some with just security plus. And entry level, we're going to say no experience required. They probably won't want to narrow, narrow it down because it's probably choosing all kinds of security stuff. So we probably want to put like CompTIA right here. But that's that's kind of what you would do. That's what I would do if I were you, Chan, uh, given the same situation that that's going to help you to find some jobs that don't require experience. All right. Let me see here. Thanks for the resource. Very helpful. Thanks, man. No problem. No problem at all. All right. I got another question. How do you feel about Western Governors University? Um, I've heard great things about it. I've got some friends who went through, through, through it. It's legit. They've got some really good programs for not only a bachelor's or master's degree, but also they'll have these like mini boot camps that you can do that once you get out, not only will you have a degree, but you'll have a certification. So I think it's really good. I don't have anything bad to say about Western Governors. Their 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 uh, prices are pretty good for as far as colleges go. Yeah, I would. Yeah, it's, it's something I've actually considered it. Actually, you know, to be honest, I've actually talked to them uh, years ago when I was thinking about going into it. Let me see if I have any other questions from you guys. I don't see any other ones. Um, so I'm gonna see about. A couple questions that are coming directly from YouTube. Let me see. All right. Let me see here if I can answer a couple of these questions. Um, this one I answered on a live not too long ago. Answered on a recent live. Um, okay, let me see. Okay, let me see. Let me see here. What are some common part part-time IT roles? Oh, I can answer this one. Part-time IT roles. So if you're looking for part-time IT roles, let me show you some things that you can do. So while I'm looking for this. So part-time IT roles, um, I've actually done a couple of these before. I just want to show you like how, how I've been able to find these, how, how people are contacting me for part-time positions. I have not uh, done a part-time position as of yet. CS, thank you for the super sticker. I appreciate that. Uh, but let me show you guys what I'm talking about here. So here's what you want to do. Let's Actually, let me let me try to let me do uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. 
has some pretty good ones. If you guys didn't know, I have a LinkedIn account. You can join me when I get time. I'm going to go through and, and answer people's questions or join join with your you on this account. Here's my LinkedIn account. If you want to know like what, what if you want to know how to find me here, I am right here. I, I typically I don't you know, anybody who wants to follow me or anybody who wants me to follow them back, I, I'll just do it. So just so you know. But the question was about remote jobs, finding, was it remote jobs? Wait a minute, I'm forgetting, man. I'm getting old. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> wow. What are some part-time remote jobs? Here, here's how you find them, okay? Here's how you find them. You would just go to, you could just literally type in just about anything here. I'll just put in IT. There's one way to find remote jobs, one one of many ways. If you're interested in finding all the ways, contact me. Um, go to my go to my link in description. Go to combocourses.com. I have a whole course on this. I've got books about how to do it. It'll walk you through literally what I do to get all of these part-time uh, remote jobs, part-time and full-time jobs. But here's how you do it. So I just put in IT. I'm going to put in jobs because that's what we're looking for. And then check this out. This is one trick of many. See this right here? Remote. I want remote. There's also hybrid. One of the things I talk about in my book is the different types of jobs. There's not just one kind. And then let's look at part-time. Let's look for a part-time job. So we're going to go to job types, part-time. See what I just did? That's it. Most high level, most of the most current um, security uh, uh, job aggregators have this, this filter feature. So you just go jobs, part-time, remote, and you'll find all types of jobs. And that's just me typing in IT. You can type in cybersecurity. Now it's, it's, the great thing about mine is that it's this whole algorithm is finding stuff just for me. And that's another thing that I show you in my book is how to actually make it so the algorithm is finding stuff for you. That's how you find remote. That's one way of finding remote jobs. There's a lot of them. They're very competitive. So you got to be on your game for those remote jobs. Let me see. I got some other questions here. Somebody, let me see, do my best to answer this one. Said, I built several computers and have a fair grasp of most technologies. I did a small practice on the A-plus certification website. It seems easy. Uh, could I be getting ahead of myself? No. Um, the A-plus cert, if you already are skilled at this, I would recommend doing Security Plus. Try Security Plus. If you already have, A-plus is for entry-level people who know nothing, who've never built a computer, who 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 are not gamers they don't they don't have they this is this is their first rodeo show with IT altogether they don't know the terminology they don't know where to buy computer parts they don't know what parts you have or what the difference between the power supply and the storage device of a computer they don't know what ram is they don't know what storage is they don't know anything so if you can, if you are already a geek, if you already are doing this, then I would recommend leveling up to something called CompTIA Security Plus. 
And the reason why I say that is because CompTIA Security Plus is much more marketable than um, it's one of the most marketable uh, certifications out there, to be perfectly honest with you. It's it's highly marketable. And it's it's also targeted. Like what I mean to say is like what an old head said to me when I first started to get in this is that it's great to be a generalist to get in there. But what you really want to do is focus on one area. Like you want to be a specialist on one thing. Like you want to either be you want to be a cloud specialist or you want to be um, a software application guy or you want to be a DevOps person or you want to go into project. Ma you want to be really deep in one thing and specialize because that's where you're going to start making that money. And Security Plus is going to specialize in security. And so these are the types of jobs that use a Security Plus. Look into Security Plus is what I would recommend if you're already a geek, if you already know to IT, if you've already built your own computers. If you already know all the terminology, um, yeah, just go for straight for security plus. Don't don't waste time with the CompTIA A plus. CompTIA A plus was my first cert, so I'm not trying to talk crap about it. I like it. I think it is marketable to some extent, but not even half as marketable as security plus. <laughs> like if you're trying to get a job in this field, security plus is is one of the best certifications. It's very marketable. Once you put it on your resume. Um, you, you'll be able to, people will reach out to you. Of course, you need to put your resume all over the place and things like that. You, you do need to get experience and, and stuff, but um, you have the knowledge. So it should be easier for you to get you, get you one of these no experience entry level positions. I hope that helps. Brent says, how many hours per day do you study? I'm not working currently and not sure when I'll be able to when uh, when I'll be able to return. I hope to try study, but want to make sure I don't burn out um, and I retain the the knowledge. Okay, the information and try to learn. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, so Brent, I can only tell you from my experience what I did, um, and and everybody is different, right? So what you need to do when here here's one of the things I little secrets. Not really a secret, but one of the things I learned is that everybody has a different learning style. You, you need to learn, figure out what your learning style is. Because for me, if I sit and listen to someone, I'm just not going to retain as much information. If I see diagrams or visual representations, like if I watch YouTube channels, I'll retain more of the information, but it still doesn't stick as well. What really works for me is to write it down. For me personally, I go through the key points of a book. I'll go through a book and write those things down. And I'll go through those key po points and then I'll study my actual notes. And for, for whatever reason, that works for me better. And uh, not to say I don't still watch lectures or listen to podcasts about the subject or something. I just know my strength is is this. And what I would typically do when I was when I was studying for certifications or when I still do is I'll, um, especially if it's a big certification, I like to take my time. I don't like to rush. Personally, I don't like to rush, especially because you know, I'm a single father. I have a job, full-time job. I have other things that have obligations I have to do. So I'll take like an hour out of each day where all I do is study for that time frame. And then sometimes what I'll do is I'll get an audio book and just listen while I'm driving. I'll just get an audio book about that subject or I'll listen to I'll find some YouTuber who's 
that's all they talk about. And I'll listen to them like while I'm driving, while I'm cooking, while I'm doing something else. I'm just trying to inundate, immerse myself in that particular thing. And every day I force myself to do like an hour, about an hour a day of either listening or studying or writing down what what I need to do. But my best way of studying is when I write the thing down and then study my notes for whatever reason, my mind. And it might be totally different for you. You might have you might be able to be one of those people who can just listen to something one time, which I know people like that. I'm jealous. They can listen to something one time and then they got it. That's not me. You got to find your own learning style and then be consistent. Find a, a time in the day when when that's when, what you do. Like force yourself to be consistent uh, with that thing and you'll you'll pick it up. You'll it'll just start to stick. You'll start to just know it. So that's that's what I would do. Uh, let me see if there's any other questions. CS says, and thanks for that donation, CS. I appreciate you, man. So CS says, I I wish I knew about certifications a long, long time ago before pursuing degrees completely opposite than tech. Um, yeah, you know, same here. Like um, I I was already in a degree when when uh, I, I had a degree already when I was actually doing certifications. That being said, I think it's not a waste. Like what you can do um, if you want to pursue a, a technical degree is you can take the some of the uh, credits that you have from your current degree and transfer them into a IT or technical degree. And most organizations will take a technical degree, technical meaning STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. If you have one of those degrees, most companies will take that, which are what they're really looking for is experience. Experience and then everything else is just an, is an added plus. Um, some organizations require that you have a degree. And so some don't even they, they don't even care what kind of degree they just want you. But and the reason why they do that is because sometimes they'll like especially small contractors. They're trying to get a contract with the government or with the federal state government or whoever or with a big company. And the only way they can do is is that they have to meet these requirements. And one of the requirements is that the employees have to have a this certification. They have to have these skills and they have to have a bachelor's degree, a bachelor's degree. They're not saying they have to have this cybersecurity bachelor's degree necessarily or an IT bachelor's degree. They're saying a bachelor's degree on their contract. That said, some organizations want you to at least have a technical uh, degree, like a STEM type degree. Uh, now. You don't have to have a degree to get in this field. You do not have to have a degree, but a sort of the knowledge, you can't get around the knowledge. Everybody has to have the knowledge to get in. You it really helps to have either a degree or a certification to get that money that you like when you're talking the money, then you're talking about a certification, a degree. You're going deeper into this. You're, you're going all in. Right. You're not dipping your toe in this no more. You're going all in. You're studying you know, long days, long nights, like you're, you're putting that hour a day in to study, to get that certification. You're paying the money to invest in yourself to know more knowledge and stuff like that. You're putting that work in, you get that certification, that degree, whatever. And then that's when court organizations will see that degree or that certification and say, okay, we're going to pay this guy extra money. So let me see here. See if I have any other questions. 
I think I'm about done for this one, guys. I've been talking for about an hour and 20 minutes. I appreciate everybody who asked questions. And I will, I'm going to try to do another more lives per week, more topics. Per, I've got, there's so many things I want to say. And I can't, sometimes I can't say them on this platform. There's, there's not this, there's so much more I want to do and say. But what I will do is end with this. I want to show you guys like a little trick. I'm, I've got a, more videos I'll do about this. But while, while we're ending this, and since CS gave me a donation, let me show you guys something a little special that I'm working on right now. Okay, so you guys have heard of Chat GPT, I'm I'm sure. Everybody, this is all everywhere on the damn internet. Everybody's talking about it. But let me just show you a couple tricks that I've learned so far. And I'm gonna be doing some other lives about this going forward. Some of the things I've learned have been uh let me see if I can find a couple of them. People have been doing SEO stuff on it, but I found this is a really good learning tool. One of the questions I asked it was to do a, I said, um, give me, I said, create an ATS style resume for a cybersecurity professional. <laughs> Check this out. <laughs> this is, this is mind blowing. And then I just, so let me just make this a little bit bigger so you can see. So that's all I did. ATS style resume is application uh, tracking system. This is what most or large organizations are starting to use for the resume style. So they can you quickly upload your resume into their into their database. So if you haven't tried this yet, chat uh, GPT is is incredible. Look at this. It's making a resume right here. Now, I did notice some some issues with it. My, I noticed my resume was better. <laughs> so what I did was I, you can feed your resume into it and say, make my resume better. And I tried to do that, but it, I didn't see anything like significant. I think that uh, there's a site called resume worded. That's much better at doing this at, for resumes in particular, but this is, this is kind of good. I mean, it's giving you the format of a of ATS style resume. You could literally take this and copy your own stuff in there like and just copy their format this is an ats style resume let me see if there's any issues here um technical skills this is wrong so you just want to put skills um there's a some issues here work experience that's good the way they laid out the work experience is good education good certification is good um this is okay i mean this is not ats style but you could put that in there yeah this is not it's not bad not bad. I got to say, it's not not a bad deal there. So that's one of the things you can do. I'm going to do some more experience uh, experiments with this, with the resumes part. But check this out. Here's another one I learned. You could do, uh, let's say you want a PC, PCI DSS uh, policy for a large retail store. Create a PCI policy for a large retail store, Walmart. <laughs> Let's see what it comes up with. And one of the things I noticed as a GSS person is some of it is some of it's off, it's wrong, but it's a good start. 
it's a really good start that uh, you can use to build on a more robust policy. But yes, look at this. The purpose of this policy is to ensure that Walmart is in compliance with the payment card industry data security standard, uh, PCI DSS, and all the payment cards are handled securely and protected properly. It's very canned information. Uh, this policy applies to all Walmart employees, contractors, vendors, and partners, blah, blah, blah. The policy is going into the greater detail about some of the uh, general security requirements that you have to have for PCI compliance, such as will maintain secure network by implementing and maintaining a firewall configured to protect the card holders. Uh, Walmart will ensure that the default password settings and parameters. Yeah, I mean, this is all basic, pretty basic stuff. So then what you could do is take this. One thing it doesn't do is make a Word document, but I'm sure they'll fix They'll figure that out soon because this is only version three. But you could take a Word document and then copy paste this into a Word document. And then, boom, you have the beginnings of a of a GS, uh, GRC PCI compliance policy. So it's pretty cool. All right, guys, that's it for this one. I will talk to you guys next week or maybe this week. We'll see. I'll try to do more lives. But uh, talk to you guys on the next one. Thank you a lot for following. Thanks for asking the questions. Talk to you later.